Pop Culture Affidavit, Episode 5. Ho, 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 yo, Joe. Welcome to the fifth episode of Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast wherein once a month I take a look at something completely random in the world of popular culture. My name is Tom Panneries, and I hope you all had a wonderful apocalypse yesterday. Mine was great. We still have plenty of food left in the house, which is typical for occasions like that. You know what I mean. We have a special occasion coming up, so you make a list of what you need, or you just overplan, and then the, there winds up being enough food to feed an army when you've got like four people showing up, even though you're expecting eight, but the other four call and they say, oh, we're only coming up over for cake and coffee. So at the end of the night, there's enough leftovers to last you until, well, whenever the next series of specials on the History Channel says the next apocalypse is going to be. Really, though, my apocalypse, it was wonderful. Um, I'm honestly ready for Christmas, though. Uh, it's a couple of days away. I'm officially off work until the new year, so I can relax a little bit. Well, as much relaxing I can, as I can do when I have to clean the house for company and do last-minute shopping. Uh, and I don't mean making sure I pick my books up at the comic store. I mean actually buying Christmas gifts and shit. Because seriously, though, it's a little bit of a hassle, but it is worth it, though. I get really psyched for this year, uh, this time of year. <laughs> because, to be honest, there really has been a holiday in my life that I could say has, well, sucked. I'm sure there were lackluster ones. I mean, I don't really think about it. I mean, for a couple of reasons. First off, I'm not an asshole. <laughs> I mean, I'm not one to piss and moan that I didn't get something and let it ruin my day. I mean, I'm sure I've done that in the past because I can be as immature as the next person. But, you know, I roof over my head. I can pay my bills for the most part. And I'm relatively healthy. I say relatively because my doctor told me I need to lose weight. Uh, but I've got a, a great family. And that's the other reason. You know, having a five-year-old changes your perspective on the holidays because, you know, obviously he absolutely loves all all of the stuff that we've been doing uh, since the end of Thanksgiving, all the kids' stuff. And this lead-up to Christmas has been a lot of fun. You know, and I love it, too. I've always loved it. So it's nice to have uh, someone around who genuinely has that sense of enthusiasm and childhood wonder that we all tend to lose as we plow to our mid-30s and what have you. And in case you think I'm bullshitting you, (laughs) I have been playing Christmas music nonstop in my car, which is something I can do because... I don't have a hellishly long commute, and I have several CDs of Christmas music, plus Sirius XM, so I have a ro- wide variety to choose from. Sometimes it's standards by people like Bing Crosby, sometimes it's classical music, but once my parents leave for Long Island on the 28th or so, I go back to the regular stuff that I usually listen to on a regular basis. And the blog uh, has been po- uh, has been Christmasing up for a while now. You know, Normally, here's where I go through what I've been up to. 
And if you're still interested in taking flight, my life is a teen titan. There have been new episodes in the last month. There's new posts to go with the episodes. But I thought that since I'm in the holiday spirit, I will give you a rundown on everything I've posted about the holidays since I started the blog. Back in 2010, I talked about advent calendars, specifically the ones where you open the little door and find a piece of chocolate behind it, which is something my son does now, but I've been doing since I was about, oh, four years old, because my grandmother brought those for me and my sister for years, all the way up until we graduated college. Last year, I had a few Christmas-related posts. Uh, the first one was my f- about my favorite ornament of all time, my 1986 World Series champion New York Mets Christmas ornament, which I'm looking at right now. Took a look at The Sure Thing, which technically isn't a Christmas movie, but you have to love any movie where John Cusack attempts to travel 3,000 miles over Christmas break to do it with Nic- Nicolette Sheridan. After that, I dug something up from an old blog of mine where I made fun of uh, Dan Fogelberg's soft rock holiday classic, Old Lang Syne. Then I closed up the Christmas post with a look at my favorite funny Christmas songs, everything from The Twelve Pains of Christmas to Christmas at Ground Zero, a song which you heard on the soundtrack to the end of the world in my last episode. So far this year, I've done a little bit about the Wontaw Parkway up on Long Island and the Etch-A-Sketch Animator. See? Told you it's random. And if you're interested in New Year's related posts, I got two. Uh, 2010, I turned my attention to the Billy Vera and the Beaters song, If I Could Just Hold You Again. And in 2011, I took a long look at MTV's 1991 The Year in Rock special. You can find all of those entries, by the way, on the blog, popcultureaffidavit.com. I'll also provide links in the show notes. But let's get to the topic at hand, shall we? From the first episode of this podcast back in September, I knew I was going to do something of a Christmas episode, but I wasn't entirely sure what was worth enough for me to yammer on for an hour, maybe even more. I considered Christmas music, but I just did two music-centered episodes. And then I thought of, well, what was the most important thing to me when I was a kid? Toys. Yeah, I know. I learned this more than Christmas to, to-, to Christmas than toys when I was younger, but come on. I'm from the 80s. Nothing was more awesome than toys at Christmas in the 80s. But what to talk about became the question. Surely, I couldn't talk about everything because I'd start with Star Wars and hit Hour 4 before I got to He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and then we'd have, like, four other toy lines to talk about. So what I did is I decided to go with the one toy line next to, I think, Star Wars... That was probably the most important toy line of my childhood, especially my mid to later elementary school years. And that is G.I. Joe. Yo, Joe! He'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe against Cobra, the enemy, fighting to save the day. He never gives up, he's always there, fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against COBRA, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. He never gives up, he'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe G.I. Joe. 
Now, this isn't going to be a comprehensive look at the toy line, nor is it going to be about the comics or the cartoon. Yeah, all three were very important to me. I'm definitely going to mention them from time to time. But I wanted to focus mainly on the toys because they were at the forefront of Christmas for a good two or three years for me. And what I'm going to do is talk about the five figures and five vehicles that were most important to me. Not the best, per se, even though there are some really quality toys on this list. But the ones that I think meant the most to me personally, like I played with them more or remember them the best. There are definitely some big names on the list, but there's kind of a couple of things that like only I would have liked. So, for the uninitiated, G.I. Joe has been around in one form or another since 1964. People older than me probably associate it with a 12-inch doll-type action figure, kind of like a Barbie for boys. But in 1982, with the success of the 3-3-quarter-inch Star Wars action figure line, Hasbro approached Marvel Comics to help them create what would become G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Larry Hama created the, the characters and the backstories, which were told on file cards that were on the back of every figure, uh, that as a kid, I of course cut out and kept kind of in a pile. And he also wrote all of the Marvel Comics series. The cartoon premiered in 1985 and became an after school television mainstay for most of the mid 80s. I got my first G.I. Joe toy for Christmas in 1985. Funny thing was, I wasn't looking for any G.I. Joe stuff. I'm pretty sure my Christmas list was still full of stuff like He-Man, some leftover Star Wars toys, maybe Voltron. But my Uncle Lou bought me the Sky Striker. And when I opened it, I remember him asking me if I was into G.I. Joe. I told him, no, but that didn't mean I wouldn't be. Especially since he had already earned the title of the Toy King. Uh, he was the uncle of my family who would buy the play sets and other huge, huge things. Uh, in fact, I remember it getting to the point where my sister and I were so wrapped with anticipation as to what the Toy King might get us each year when we were uh, when we were kids. He'd gotten me Skull Mountain. I know he got me at least one wicked huge Star Wars toy. In fact, what made him infinitely cool in my mind when I was first met him as a kid when he was still when he was engaged to my aunt Jerry was that he had a bootleg copy of The Empire Strikes Back, which wasn't out on video yet, and I had been too young to see in the theater. Um, I saw Star Wars on TV and, and, and videotape and laser and, and uh, a copy that I owned that my dad's friend Chuck had uh, dubbed from a Laserdisc because that went into home video release really quickly, but Empire took a while to come out, and I don't think Empire was released until 84. I was three, uh, two and a half, really, or almost three, when, when Empire came out in 1980. I wasn't going to see it in the theater. The only original trilogy release that I saw in the theater was Jedi, because I was six. But the first time we went to his house, he had this, and it was it was questionable quality of a bootleg but then again I didn't know from that I was seven years six seven years old and I was so happy to be seeing the Empire Strikes Back a movie that I'd heard of only and never really seen before uh, so that was like really really cool and eventually of course I did I did see the entire thing so awesome totally awesome and anyway the sky striker let's get back to gi joe along the sky striker i got that and i had friends who were starting to play with gi joe figures at the time so the cartoon came on i mean it was just the time was ripe and for me to get into the toys and then 
basically by Christmas of 86, or my birthday in 86, and then Christmas in 86, I was fully in. And, and I'd already ma- amassed a serious amount of, of Joes and Cobras. But which ones were important? Well, I'm going to take a quick break and come back with five that would have been important to me had I actually owned them. So before I get to my two top five lists, I thought I'd talk about five toys from the line that I always wanted, but I never got. Yeah, I know, it sounds selfish and ungrateful, but I was a kid, and when I was a kid, I wanted stuff. And even now, when I come across something that I wanted when I was a kid, I have to admit, there's always a temptation to buy it, even if I don't have the money. You know, late night eBay surfing. It can be a dangerous thing. So anyway, the top thing, five things I always wanted from smallest to largest. First is the Cobra Trooper. All right, 
This figure was basically the Imperial Stormtrooper of G.I. Joe. It was an early figure because in the first year or so of the cartoon, there wasn't much variety as far as the enemy. You had Cobra Commander, Destro, maybe a couple of other figures, but you had the nameless, faceless Cobra Trooper actually looked pretty cool. They had blue uniforms, masks covering their mouths. They were a faceless enemy. And the troopers had a red Cobra insignia. The officers had a silver Cobra insignia. I didn't own either, and I really wanted not just one, but several, because I thought it would be awesome to have a true Cobra army. Next up is the Hiss Driver, and and he's the only one of two figures in this entire list of, uh, of five things I wanted, and the only reason that I wanted him, is, this is going to sound silly, but one of the cool things about the toy line was that you could order some vehicles, usually older stuff that really wasn't in, to- in store- toy stores as much, through the mail. Uh, one thing that I had through the mail was the Hiss tank. This is a big black tank. It had a room for a driver. There was a gunner that kind of you put into the top of it and you put two passengers in the back. The only drawback of getting the vehicle by mail as opposed to buying in the store, it didn't come with the driver the way it would if you bought it in the store. And I was really anal retentive when it came to toys like that. If I owned a vehicle and uh, I wanted the driver, like I owned the AT-AT, and then I would put the AT-AT driver and General Veers into the AT-AT. You know, like that sort of stuff. So I had, the driver had to be driving the vehicle when I played with him, you know. But I never got it. So that kind of bugged me for years, uh, because I never completed the set. But moving on a little bit. Third is the Skyhawk. This is a one-man vehicle that was a VTOL, or a vertical takeoff and landing as the com comics would explain a lot in editor's notes. And the reason I wanted it was because it would have fit perfectly onto the helipad of the battle platform. Uh, I'd always wanted to be able to have one of the Joes climb up the ladder, get the Skyhawk, and do recon or provide air support or something. But I will say that I was able to improvise uh, with the ISP-6 mini-rig from Star Wars. It it looked like this shuttle, the the it was a miniature version of the of the Imperial shuttle. I had a couple of those mini rigs and I always thought they were they were pretty cool. But never got the Skyhawk and, and was always a little disappointed. I was kinda wanted that. Number four on this this short list, the Cobra Rattler. Like I said, the first toy I ever got was the Sky Striker. Naturally, I wanted an enemy plane so I could have a dogfight, even though if you kind of think about it, it would have been really hard for me to hold two planes at once. That Sky Striker was huge, and, and the Cobra planes were pretty big too. But at the time, I was like, oh, this would be really cool to have, and it was the only plane that was available. It was uh, The Rattler it was a blue-colored plane inspired by the A-10 Thunderbolt, that also had like a VTOL feature because you could flip the wings up. It really looked cool. I was looking at it uh, online while I was doing research. I was like, damn, this thing's cool. Uh, I did get the Night Raven eventually. The Night Raven was the Cobra SR-71 Blackbird, uh, which was a cool toy in itself as well. So I eventually was able to have a dogfight. I usually got a friend over and we, uh, you know, flew the things around. Uh, this, of course, leads up to the one toy that I wanted more than all the others and I never got, which was the USS Flag, otherwise known as the G.I. Joe Aircraft Carrier, retailing at a whopping $89.99, which was a lot of, is a lot of money now, but seriously, it was probably a ton of money back in 1985, for a toy anyway. It was on my Christmas list for at least a couple of years and was, quite frankly, the holy grail of toys. I mean, nobody I know 
had this thing. From what I gather, by the way, it was enormous. I mean, the commercial said the runway was big enough to fit the Sky Striker, and I'm not sure. I'm always going to claim that it did because that's what it looks like in my mind, too. But unlike the other toys I wanted, I actually never saw this in real life. You know, I had friends who had the Rattler, who had the Skyhawk, who had those figures. Uh, but nobody, like I said, nobody I know had this. It was just like this thing that you just hope for. You put it on your Christmas list every year thinking maybe they'll buy it. Um, and the funny thing was, I actually had two opportunities to own one. The first, for all I know, this is an apocryphal story, but apparently the Toy King, Uncle Lou, actually had told my parents he was going to buy it for me one year and they stopped him. Um, Because he, he told me this back in college. Now, if this is true, uh, my parents have a lot of makeup work to do. No, I'm kidding. The other instance, though, and I really like this, is my wife, uh, my wife Amanda, almost bid on the Canadian version on eBay when we were getting married. She was going to give it to me as a wedding present. Uh, she ultimately decided against it, uh, not because of the price, but because, and and this is true, and I actually, and, and I actually support her on this. I was like, yeah, that was a good decision. We had like no space in our apartment for something like this. You know, we were, you know bursting at the seams with a lot of stuff and besides she ended up buying me the indiana jones films they had just come out on dvd and and that that was pretty sweet so you know you know i can't i you know but i I have to i have to give her credit for actually having the thought of that uh my son by the way has an aircraft carrier it is part of the fisher price imaginex line which is when you have kids you have the little people, you know, we all used to have the little people as kids, and they have that, and the Imaginex was created for the sort of in-between, the transition phase from those to the full-on action figure, action figure line, and the Imaginex line is really, really fun to play with, and the aircraft carrier, he has the aircraft carrier, uh, and and he has, uh, Fisher Price has the DC Super Friends license, so he's got Batman, he's got Superman, he's got Hawkman, he's got Flash, uh, the Joker, the Penguin, and Two Face, and he also has a bunch of the Superhero Squad figures and some of Play School's Marvel Heroes line. So I can have Batman at the helm and Spider-Man flying a plane into the uh, aircraft carrier because I'm no longer anal retentive when it comes to people doing what they're supposed to do with what vehicles. Um, and and Batman always needed an aircraft carrier, you know, the Batcraft carrier or the Bat aircraft carrier. I mean, come on. But that little spiel about five toys I wanted—that's the appetizer. And in a moment, it'll be time for the main course. So when I come back, it will be time for my top five GI Joe figures. This flag aircraft carrier. Get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. 
like a job for Superman. Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at two truefreaks.libson.com. This is Wild Bill aboard the Dragonfly Copter. It's pretty as a picnic up here. Go run! Hey, Ace, we got snakes at the picnic. Sky Striker will teach them some manners. The I Joe Sky Striker flying high is gonna knock the rattler out of the sky. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe Sky Striker, Dragonfly Copter, and Cobra Rattler each sold separately from Hasbro. So in choosing my five favorite figures, I made an effort to think of guys that I played with the most or whom I thought were coolest. Uh, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the friends I had in elementary school who would play Joes with me. One guy in particular, one of my best friends when we were kids, and we're still friends now on Facebook, friends now um, have reconnected through Facebook over the last few years, and it's been really, really cool. It's Tom Hackett. Uh, he, we're both from Long Island. He actually lives uh, down in the Atlanta metro area, believe it or not, not far from from another particular podcaster I know. Uh, he and I read the comics like crazy when we were kids, and uh, we wound up with a decent-sized collection at one point. Uh, we also watched the crap out of G.I. Joe the movie. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was... I was uh, I was gathering the clips for this episode and posted the intro to the movie, which you heard earlier in the show on Facebook, and he responded, no cartoon had a better actor than Don Johnson as Falcon. I must have watched that movie at your house a hundred times. And Falcon was one of his favorite figures, along with Mercer, who was one of Slaughter's Marauders, and Recoil, who I remember not for his look, but because he had a really cool-looking gun with a bayonet on the end of it, which was pretty badass. Um, I'm sure we both loved Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow. Uh, we ha- I'm, I'm also sure we had our own Snake Eyes figures, so we were never like, fighting over that. Uh, but yeah, he'd come over. If we weren't watching a movie or playing Bases Loaded, which is so due for its own post, um, we'd get out to Joes and play with them for at least a few hours. Uh, I love that we both had our favorites, especially considering there were so many characters to choose from between the two of us. Shit, I still have my favorites, even among my son's superhero action figures, uh, whenever we play superhero together. I love playing with Hawkman, uh, mainly because that figure looks cool. (laughs) Anyway, let's get into my top five. I'm going to do it in chronological order based on when they were uh, released. So first off will be Storm Shadow, uh, the original Storm Shadow, that is, not the second version that came out in 88 or so. That's a cool figure. It had some really cool weapons, but the original figure was totally awesome. I will give a little love to his cousin Snake Eyes here, but my favorite between the two was Storm Shadow because he was a reluctant bad guy. Uh, He was a ninja, and he was shrouded in mystery. The mystery of Storm Shadow comes from two of my favorite issues in the comic series, issues 26 and 27, Snake Eyes, The Origin. In issue 26, we learn that Storm Shadow is a Japanese-American who fought in Vietnam, uh, and his name was Tommy, and he had the same ninja clan tattoo as Snake Eyes. And uh, Tommy's last name 
is unpronounceable, but it translates into storm shadow, or was untranslatable or, or something, but it basically translated into storm, storm shadow. And I am one day going to talk about those two issues because they are just flat out awesome in terms of an origin story. And one of the reasons that the G.I. Joe comics were just so good and rarely felt watered down or condescending toward a kid audience, even if there were some more of the ridiculous toy and uh, tie-in issues from time to time. Now, I was pretty obsessed over what Storm Shadow's last name was. Uh, I remember the Sable Public Library had a Japanese to English dictionary, but that was relatively useless because I had no idea what any Japanese character meant. But I did go to Disney World, uh, and I remember the last trip I took to Disney World was 1990, and even though I had really stopped playing with Joes by then, I was still obsessed with the answer to this question. Uh, so on the day we went to Epcot, and we were in the gift, uh, we were in the Japanese Pavilion, which was always one of my favorites, and we. We wandered in, uh, I wandered into the gift shop, and I was just kind of looking around, I saw an Japanese, English to Japanese dictionary on the shelves in there. Uh, so I started flipping through it, of course, and, and I found Storm, but there didn't seem to be a word in there for a shadow. My father saw me, because I think he was looking, I think they wanted to move on to Morocco? I'm trying to remember. It's like Jap- Japan, Morocco, and America. The American Experience, I think it was called, or something. Um... I had that animatronic Mark Twain and what have you were right next to each other from what I remember in the World of Nations or Hall of Nations or Tour of the World section. Anyway, it was 20-something years ago. Uh, so I explained the whole thing about Storm Shadow. So he, he goes and he grabs an Epcot employee uh, who happened to speak Japanese and the guy takes out a Sharpie and he wrote, writes the character's for Storm and Shadow on the back of my Epcot mat, map. In fact, I remember it vividly. Storm and Epcot, and there were the Kodak symbol was in the middle of it. Um, I cut When I got home, I cut that part out. I put it in my wallet. Um, and, and when I got back to New York, and then, uh, then I went to the Sable Library, I grabbed the Japanese to English Dictionary, and I tried to find the characters. I couldn't take it out of the library because in the reference section... And I never found the characters because, again, I'm sitting there I'm trying to match lines to lines. And, um, and then eventually I lost that piece of paper. And it would have been pretty cool just to have it uh, still. But I only hoard so much in my life. Uh, and I never found out. But my friend Victor, who we used to go, uh, him and his family and my family used to go to, the, to vacation up at a lake in New Hampshire. In fact, the families still do, but Vic lives in, uh, he's working out in Australia this year, and uh, uh, and I haven't been up there in a few years. But we used to go to a lake in New Hampshire, and um, you know, we'd go up, we'd buy baseball cards, we'd buy Mad Magazines, and, and he, we would every once in a while have comic books with each other, you know, what have you. And he had a bunch of Joe comics, because he's a couple years younger than me, so he had been reading Joe comics uh, for at least another year after I had stopped. I had stopped after issue 66. Um, and I read a couple, and in the back of the letter column of one of them, somebody had actually written it and said he deciphered the name, which was a Rishikage. So, I got my answer. The figure, by the way, wound up becoming pretty prized, too. Especially after I left it at someone's house. Whose house it was, I cannot remember. I'm pretty sure it wasn't Tom's. I think it was somebody else. Because uh, Tom took care of his stuff. He took care of his figures. Um, but I remember you always had that one friend who, like, he borrowed something and it come back and, like, you know, there was dirt all over it and shit was broken or missing. Um, that's the person I ended up losing. Lo- 
le- leaving it there, and it came back beached to shit, dirty as hell, and the rubber band that held the legs to the torso uh, was nearly shredded. In fact, I was actually afraid to play with Storm Shadow. So what I did was I put him in jail, <laughs> and I had the Joes rescue him several times over. It was a recurring storyline in the universe of my basement for a while before... Uh, Storm Shadow finally gave up the ghost and snapped in half. I mean, for all I know, I might have actually put his half of his body um, in the jail and they had to rescue his upper half, or or I just turned it into, okay, the Rancor monster tore him apart and they have to get revenge the Rancor monster, but I'm pretty sure I eventually threw Storm Shadow away. Figure number two is the hooded Cobra Commander. Uh, I don't need to tell you how cool Cobra Commander is, but I will say that this was my favorite Cobra Commander figure because it was a mail-away, which was kind of a new thing to me when I was a kid. I mean, there have been mail-away figures before. Uh, When I got my Emperor Palpatine with proofs of purchase cut out of the back of my Star Wars figures, but in the case of G.I. Joe, some vehicles actually came with a catalog that had older stuff and specialty specialty items you could send away for. You know, like extra weapons, old vehicles, stuff that wasn't really in toy stores anymore. I mentioned that's how I got the Hiss tank. Uh, But there were also toys you sent away for that weren't offered in stores at all, at least at the time, and one of them was the hooded Cobra Commander figure. And it was about this time, too, that the hooded version of the main villain got a lot more play on the cartoon instead of the one with the battle shield mask. So I sent away for it as soon as I could. When I got the figure, it definitely felt good to have a proper Cobra leader, because I had come into G.I. Joe right around that whole Serpentor debacle, and I, I, I have to say, I freaking hated Serpentor, uh, even though I had him, because I had, like, everybody. In fact, I'd sometimes make Cobra al- ally with the Empire and have Palpatine be the Emperor, because I had lost my Darth Vader action figure years before. Uh, if I wanted a Cobra Emperor... So for the most part, Cobra Commander was always in charge in my mind. Now, the armored Cobra Commander would come out a year later. Uh, Everyone had that, because it wasn't hard to find. That version, you know, I look at it now, it really hasn't aged well. Uh, It looks looks like it's from the late 80s. It looks really dated. But this hooded one really looks better. I mean, I remember, you know, playing with it a lot. And in fact, my hooded Cobra Commander figure fell victim to one of the two most common problems when it came to G.I. Joe figures. The first common problem is how the thumbs would sometimes snap off because you were manipulating the gun in their hands to kind of keep it there too much and it would weaken the plastic on the thumb and it would eventually snap off. The second, and this is what happened to my Cobra Commander figure, is the pegs from the vehicles would end up snapping off and getting stuck in the hole that was like in the character's boot. It was annoying. I mean, I suppose I could have used needle-nose pliers to get it out, but I never thought of doing that. So basically for the entire time that I would play with my Cobra Commander figure for the better part of a year and a half, uh, uh, he had a neon blue-green peg from the Cobra water moccasin stuck in his boot. Third on the list are Tomax and Zaymot. Yeah, they're two figures, but they were packaged together because they were, well, twin brothers. And they actually had one of the more catchy commercials. Using the leaders of the Crimson Guard, the evil twin brothers, Tomax and Zaymot, and they're getting away in the Cobra Ferret. The jungle stop them. With the G.I. Joe minigun. G.I. Joe! Evil twin brothers sold together, Cobra Ferret, G.I. Joe minitank, and Joe Figure sold separately from Hasbro. I actually got these guys twice. First time I had them, I somehow lost them. 
I might have left them in somebody's house because it's the type of stuff we tended to do with our toys back in the day. Uh, a lot of times you got them back, but sometimes you just you just lost them. And it shouldn't have mattered because they weren't like the coolest figures, but for some reason that commercial was running through my head in November of, uh, I think it was like 87. And uh, I put them on my list. And when I saw them sticking out of my stocking on Christmas morning, because one of the things my mother would do, she'd hang the stockings by the mantle on the fireplace, and she'd put one toy in the top that was unwrapped so you saw something you were getting. Because my sister and I had to sit at the top of the stairs for what seemed like an eternity, because my dad had to, you know, shit shower and shave. And uh, I remember sitting there, peering through the, the banister railing and going, hey, I got the evil twin brothers, leaders of the Crimson Guard. And I'm not kidding. I seriously recited a commercial on Christmas morning. On the show and in the comics, the characters were dumb and gimmicky. If you hit one, the other would feel it, which, again, is stupid. As action figures, though, they made halfway decent second-in-commands. Tomax uh, Zaymot, and Zaymot had this scar that was pretty cool. Number four is Low Light. I don't think I liked Lowlight for the figure as much as for his gun. He was a sniper and came with a rifle that had a scope and, and a stand, which folded out so you could have him hold the gun or set himself up somewhere at long range. I remember one adventure where we set up my, the Cobras and my sister's My Little Pony Paradise Estate because it was next door to the Terror Drum. And we'd set up a zip line from a chair to the estate pool. So Lowlight would take some shots from afar and then he'd put his rifle in the zip line and he'd zip right in. And a bunch of other jurors behind him, and they'd take everybody out. Uh, and I think he'd end up using his pistol a few times in the firefight. But uh, that, you know, he had some awesome. So, and and some of the weapons that these jurors carried, they were they were pretty awesome. Finally, I have Lifeline. <laughs> now, Lifeline, not a character prop people are gonna be like thinking of when they think of awesome GI Joe characters. But he was the medic, and for some reason, I just really like this character. I always associated him with another Joe named Sci-Fi. Sci-Fi was a bright green. Was bright green. He had a laser attached to a backpack via a small plastic tube. And I remember really wanting him, probably because of the name. Lifeline had a red and white uniform. Uh, it had carried medical supplies and a pistol. I think the reason I always associate these two is because my mom used to wrap action figures together sometimes. Like she'd make them almost look like a big rectangle, so you'd open two at once. Um, and I think I probably got Sci-Fi and Lifeline wrapped together. Uh, I was psyched for Sci-Fi, but pretty cool on Lifeline, but that plastic tube that went from Sci-Fi's backpack to his gun never stayed on properly, and eventually I was just like, I, Sci-Fi never really was a big character, but Lifeline is pretty cool because you could have the medic on the field, and there'd be times when Joe's got shot or hurt, they needed attention, he wound up keeping someone alive while they were trapped in a cave, uh, which was, or, or among my dad's free weights on the other side of the basement. Uh, again, we we like were crazy imaginative with the with the storylines we came up for these toys, and um, I also give Lifeline a little credit for being one of those few remaining realistic characters at a time when Hasbro was really rolling out more and more ridiculous, uh, ridiculous toys. But that's it for figures, and when I come back, I'll talk top five vehicles. Cobra Commander, he is the enemy. The enemy of G.I. Joe. He's escaping! He's escaping in the Cobra Claw! Get the Ninjas and get him aboard the Skyhawk! Introducing Duke, Roadblock, and Spirit. G.I. Joe, American hero! G.I. Joe is there! Cobra Commander! 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 C
commander got away! But we captured Storm Shadow. Yo, Joe! G.I. Joe Skyhawk. Joe and Cobra figures and Cobra Claws sold separately from Hasbro. Hello, boys and girls. It's your dear old Uncle Joker. We've got an internet access here in Arkham, so I'm doing a little browsing. Hmm, lolcats, lolcats, porn, lolcats. What's this? Bailey's Batman Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast devoted to everything Dark Knight Detective. Well, Michael Bailey, where's Bailey's Joker Podcast, eh? We'll see about that. Harley, get our things. We're going to Georgia. <laughs> hey everyone, Michael Bailey here asking you to check out my bi-weekly internet radio show, Bailey's Batman Podcast. Or at least I'm asking you to check it out while you still can until the Joker shows up on my doorstep. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a hodgepodge-type show where I discuss all aspects of the Dark Knight's history. Comics, movies, animation, even trading cards and action figures. Everything Batman-related is fair game, and yes, that does include the villains, which includes the Joker, so he won't kill me. New episodes drop every other Tuesday over at www.baileysbatmanpodcast.com. The site also has links to the iTunes page, the RSS feed, my Twitter handle if you're into the social media thing, and the Bailey's Batman Podcast Facebook page. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Connection, which you can find at batmanpodcastconnection.wordpress.com. I really hope that's the UPS guy. Why can't I have Batman in my basement? Cobra Hydrofoil shooting across the water is an evil new foe. Cobra Hydrofoil's gonna get G.I. Joe! Introducing the Cobra Hydrofoil. The G.I. Joe battle platform's under attack! Cobra! Raise the missile rack! Fire the torpedoes! Cobra Hydrofoil, G.I. Joe Tactical Battle Platform. Other Joe and Cobra figures each sold separately from Hasbro. So, vehicles. Both Star Wars and G.I. Joe had an incredible vehicles, and in my mind, that really made these toy lines what they were. Sure, it was cool to have the, the characters you saw on TV, but if you really look at it, and you look at, say, the AT-AT, the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier, uh, they were put together with some serious, serious detail. Any parents of a kid in the 80s can verify that, too. My dad and my Uncle Lou spent an enormous time of, on Christmas Eve uh, when we would go to my grandmother's assembling those toys. They would even take the time to put every last decal on exactly the way it was supposed to go. And, and I, you know, I really appreciate it because my toy closet when I was a kid was freaking awesome. And... And it was well taken care of. Sure, some of my toys broke. Some were damaged on occasion. Small pieces and accessory got lost. They did deteriorate over the years. Because, you know, m my sister and my friends, we all played with these things. We played with them very, very well. But, 
you know, we really took our did our best to take care of them. Um, so because and part of it was the, just the effort that went into buying them and, and, and putting them together. But lest I go down memory lane one more time and go down another tangent, tangent, we're we're already uh, you know pretty well in here. Let's go ahead and talk about my five favorites in chronological order. First up is one I've actually already mentioned, which is the Sky Striker. It was the very first G.I. Joe toy I got, but that's not the reason it's important. The reason it was is important is that this is quite possibly the best plane ever produced for this toy line. The Sky Striker was an F-14 Tomcat that came with three types of missiles, two seats for a pilot and his co-pilot, and the pilot Ace could eject from the plane and parachute out. Now, Ace wasn't the best figure. His suit, I guess it was a flight suit, but it looked more like kind of like a cross between a flight suit and an astronaut, because he had this like bubble helmet, instead of having like that sort of flight mask. I, I And I'm pretty sure I lost that helmet like within a week of owning him. Uh, the parachute was a pain in the ass, too. You know, you, you eject him and you throw him out and the parachute unfurls and everything, but then when you put the parachute back on, it never goes back the way it's supposed to. So I think what I ended up doing was eventually just cutting the parachute off and, and throwing it away and just keeping the two seats, you know, and not having him eject or anything. He just gets shoot up, it blows, shot down, it blows up. And in all honesty, the Sky Striker sat on the shelf for a while uh, when I was a kid. Um, in Christmas, because Christmas 85, like I said, it was the only G.I. Joe toy I had. It was really cool to play with sometimes, but, uh, you know, it, it took me a while to amass some G.I. Joe toys. And then in 86, something else happened as I was collecting G.I. Joe toys that made me take the Sky Striker out and really play with it a lot. And that was Top Gun. Everyone I knew saw Top Gun. Um, I think we even... Uh, we even all owned it on video at one time or another, and uh, that was uh, and that was one of the few that that we did own on video. Um, so the fact that the Sky Striker was the same plane used in Top Gun made it just more that that more awesome. I mean, how could it not? I mean, I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention the Sky Striker's role in a video Tom and I put together when we were in the fifth grade. Uh, my parents had just gotten a video camera for Christmas, so we set it up on the washing machine with a tape inside, put a radio next to the camera, did a whole lip-syncing concert using the Sky Striker and Cobra Jet that was just in, that was the, the Night Raven. We used that and the SR-71 Blackbird as guitars. As far as I know, this tape no longer exists. So nobody can see us lip-syncing Bon Jovi with planes and my sister using the croquet set as drums. Anyway, if the Sky Striker was my favorite plane, my favorite boat is my next vehicle, the Cobra Moray Hydrofoil. This wasn't the type of thing you put in water. I never did, anyway. Uh, but it's a great example of how I was saying that G.I. Joe had such great detailed vehicles. And this also shows how the three and three quarter inch toy line had a real advantage over other ones. I mean, don't get me wrong. He-Man and the Masters Universe, that was a cool toy line. Thundercats, they were okay, too. But the playsets were, and the playsets were awesome. Castle Grayskull was cool. But... The vehicles in that toy line, as well as that the Thundercats, they showed the limitations when you have figures that large. G.I. Joe and Star Wars, as well as some other toy lines, like Panache Places Voltron, which I wrote about back in 2010 and still considered to be a little bit underrated. It just happened to be the victim of bad timing. Um, they could produce vehicles that had a lot of potential because they didn't have to accommodate large figures. I could fit one guy on the He-Man attack tank, or whatever they call it. I could fit seven or eight on the Hydrofoil. Plus, the Hydrofoil had missiles. I, I, 
they you may have been able to fire them. I don't think you could, but even if you couldn't, it's just some serious firepower. And again, like the AT-AT and some of these other vehicles, it was almost a playset and a boat in one. I think this was the one we played with just about 100% of the time when we had the Joes out, because you could have fights on the deck of the boat and the bow. You could shoot at other things in the air or the water. And again, whoever put all these vehicles together really deserves some recognition um, for just the sophistication, the, the, what they put into creating these. Now, staying in the water but turning to a smaller piece, I wanted to spend the time for my third vehicle on the Cobra Night Landing Raft, which was available in stores back in 1984, but I got through a mail order, probably the same mail order I used for the Hooded Cobra Commander. Yeah, this wasn't anything special. It was simply a mini vehicle, kind of like the Star Wars mini rigs, uh, in that it was packaged to be more affordable than, say, like something like the Hydrofoil. And really, all it was was a raft with an outboard mo- mo- motor, or it came with a shovel, a radio, a knife. It also had a machine gun that you could mount to the front of the thing. But the exception of the machine gun, it was nothing elaborate. And I think that it, I often took the machine gun off to play with it. And I also didn't limit its use to only Cobras. I remember plenty of missions where the Joes were uh, landing on a beach under cover of night and were doing so silently. So they would row the raft out and sneak up on the enemy. Uh, it was one of those vehicles I loved because it was realistic. I mean, I'm not sure that the army has developed a battle android trooper yet, but I'm sure they have rafts. Uh, so again, I really liked something out of uh, these toys that wasn't sought after, but I felt I could be really creative with, especially considering that the last two items on the list were usually the center of the action when I played Joe's. So, next is the first of two big G.I. Joe playsets that I own, and that is the trans portable tactical battle platform. First off, as anyone can probably tell you, this was the consolation prize to a number of kids who wanted the aircraft carrier and didn't get it. Second, I looked this up and its original retail price was $11.99, which for what you get is pretty awesome. I mean, even in 1986 standards, that's not bad. I'm sure that it would probably cost at least 40 or 50 bucks uh, today, especially considering that the action figures used to be about three bucks, and now it cost about know, seven, eight, nine dollars. The battle platform looked like an oil rig with machine guns and a helipad, and came with a command center as well as a ramp and ladders. So what I would do is put the night landing raft under the ladder for those missions, find something worth putting on the helipad because I didn't own the Skyhawk, and made sure that there were plenty of people manning the missiles and working in the command center. I'd also put the Star Wars MLC-3 mini rig on the ramp. That was the one, it would look like a tank. You put one person, it was a little mini tank uh, with two guns on it uh, that was uh, used on Hoth. Um... And it fit perfectly in the ramp. I'd also sometimes have this as the Cobra base, have the Joes take it over. Uh, this is when I'd land Serpentor's chariot on the helipad, but have Palpatine at the helm, because I freaking hated Serpentor. And the Joes would claim the base after raiding it and taking over, or they wouldn't take it over and would still blow it up, which is when I'd take the legs off and have it sink into the sea. And it was great to have a playset for them to fight over until, well, until the very last thing on the list. And that is... The Cobra Terrordrome. This sucker retailed for $44.99 at the time. Uh, it would probably be more than that today. Uh, I don't think it was a Toy King toy, to be honest with you. I think it actually might have been a gift from my parents. But I do know I got it in 1986 because I also got the Top Gun soundtrack that year. And uh, I remember playing Danger Zone 
and the Top Gun anthem while flying the Sky Striker around and launching the Fire Bat from the Terror Drone, which was my favorite feature of the playset. You'd, you could pull a lever down on the lower thing, and the top opened up, and the plane flew out. It was really, really cool. Because basically, this is Cobra Headquarters. It's a two-level structure, and the top has a command center similar to what had the, I had in the battle platform, with the bottom having a jail cell, which is where I put my destroyed Storm Shadow for those rescue missions. A fuel station, two gunner stations, and the launch lever for the Fire Bat. What was even cooler about those bottom stations is there were doorways between them and bay doors that opened out. So again, a ton of stuff could go on. The top of the Terradrome also had large guns, so the place was heavily fortified. And once I got it set up, just about every mission was about taking down the Terradrome. In fact, I remember we used to blow it up by disassembling it. Because the top level came off if you turned it the right way. I mean, we blew a lot of things up. This is why, even though we treated the toys very well, this is why they were kind of beat up by the time my childhood was over. Uh, you know, because, again, we just took stuff apart. We put it back together. We did our best to take care of it. But none of it was going to be, you know, sold for hundreds upon hundreds of dollars on eBay years down the line. Because as everybody who was that age at that time knows... We weren't thinking about that. But I do have to say that, you know, over the course of the last few years, especially, you know, as I've had a kid and as I've uh, seen what it is to buy toys at Christmas and, and, and as, you know, the, the wave of nostalgia for my own childhood has washed over me, so to speak, I, I can't express how fortunate I realized I was to have a childhood like this. Uh, these toys were not just owned. I mean, they, like I said, they were play with over and over and over. And I think all of them were eventually donated. They were trashed, depending on whatever final condition. They might have been sold at a yard sale. Um, in the end, I wish I had a few uh, Joes to pass on to my son so he could play with them. I mean, he loves the action figures he has now. And he does have a few of my Star Wars figures, but that's about it. But I don't know. He's got so many of his own that <laughs> he doesn't really need mine. Um, he, like I said, he's got an aircraft carrier, and he's got his own bat cave. I didn't have a bat cave. But, you know, this, this was fun. Um, we're hitting, uh, just about, by the time this is done, I'm looking at the 47-minute mark, but including recordings and trailers and everything, we're probably at 50 or 55 minutes at this point, which is an average length for one of these episodes, and, and I'm glad I was able to give G.I. Joe, which was a huge part of my childhood, um, a decent amount of attention here. Uh, I have to say, doing it, uh, doing the research, doing this episode brought back a lot of great memories. And, and um, giving credit where credit is due, I got a lot of information, a lot of the, the graphics um, that you'll see on the site and what have you from yojo.com. They have an enormous amount of information about all the toys, even down to those original retail prices, which was pretty cool. Uh, so if you have a, a Jones for G.I. Joe nostalgia, toys, the cartoon, the comics, anything, uh, go to yojo.com. And I found most of the cartoon uh, commercial uh, sound clips that you heard uh, on YouTube, which is never uh, is always a great source for random crap, especially from from the 80s, uh, and and I'm, I'm always appreciative that YouTube is in our lives. Uh, but that's it. Um, I'm going to take a break uh, from both this and Taking Flight. I'm going to be back after the new year with another episode. Uh, there'll be a New Year's blog post, as there always is, probably something random that has an association in my mind with New Year's Eve. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get into 2013. So uh, until then, uh, everybody who's listening to this, you know, both of you, uh, have a happy holiday. Have a Merry Christmas. Uh, 
Hanukkah's over. Uh, but have a Merry Christmas and, uh, and, a, and a great, great New Year. And I will see you next time. You have reached the end of another episode of Pop Culture Affidavit. All music, clips, or other material used in this podcast are the property of their respective copyright holders. And as this podcast is intended for entertainment and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Clips, pictures, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, a blog where each week I take a look at a random thing in the world of popular culture and give my opinion as well as personal experience and memories I have with it, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback and other comments about this podcast can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and come back next time for some more pop culture randomness.